one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. This is Paul Hawksby. This is Max Rushton. And this is the H&J Daily with some of the best bits of this afternoon's show. Well, uh, Pat Nevin, former uh, Scotland, Chelsea and Everton winger, and Pundit, of course, has written a fine autobiography, The Accidental Footballer. And he joined us for a chat about that, which we very much enjoyed. He was great. I, I think you could t- I could talk to him for hours. He was Whether very he'd, interesting. He'd yeah. want to listen to me for hours is a different question, yeah, but he was, yeah. he was brilliant. Yeah. He was very good. Um, we were also joined this afternoon by Danny Kelly, who dipped into the My Sporting Life archive. and uh, we Traumatic about, for you, wasn't it? Well, it, not so much tra- traumatic, but um, it took me back. Mm. It took me back to my youth. Uh, as we spoke about Eric Bristow. And, um, well, that's about it. We had a bit of a conversation, didn't we, about various things? Yeah. Uh, and, well, here it all is. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Max. Good afternoon, Paul. Good afternoon, everybody. I found myself um, getting quite emotional watching. I mean, I, I know that football fans are important. I don't think any. I don't think we need to say it again, do we? But it, I don't know if you found that watching the games yesterday, and I'm watching. I was watching the the Brighton City highlights this morning, mm. and just getting quite emotional about how much, how happy they were about Dan Burns' winning goal, and and you know that moment where I don't know if it was a foul. I don't know if that's a sending off. I felt Welbeck made a lot of it, but just every moment of what it's like to be a fan when yeah. an opposition defender, you know denies a goal scoring opportunity you know there's the screaming for the red card then there's the delight in the red card and then there's the sort of waving cheerio that mm. that hasn't happened and, and I wonder as well you know that that 22 man brawl or it might have been 21 yeah. I think I can't remember there was one Leicester player I, think, well, I mean is it Luke Thomas I mean, just watched on just standing there going what are you all doing yeah. but but there haven't been any melees or we'll see if there have been no. any we've missed all these brawls because there aren't fans there to inspire the players to that's sort of true. push in each other empty, about a I bit. mean it, fighting has started sorry start that seems close I, I probably did say that didn't I starting <laughs> starting a fight I'm sorry I have a cold starting to fight an empty house is literally what it is yes. isn't it really yeah, totally. no one wants to do that I got there in the end yeah and they are quite I was chatting about it this morning with, with Barry saying you know, they're sort of like, when they really get good, the melees, they're like a rolling mall, aren't they? Because at one point they sort of start somewhere and that's where the centre of it is. And, and then it moves away, but there are still two people pushing each other. Yeah. And then they realise, oh, we're not, in the, we're not in the middle of the melee anymore. We need to get in. And then, and then Adam Hurry from Football Clichés was saying it's sort of, you get peacemakers and then you get meta peacemakers. Mm. You know, no, no one is trying to fight now. They're all just, they're all just being the peacemaker. But I, I don't know, I just had a thoroughly enjoyable time with all of that. 
football yesterday yeah. and just seeing fans get excited. I mean, it took a while to realise it wasn't an effect. You know what I mean? You yeah. know, you're kind of ex- expecting the effects to be there, and uh, thankfully it was it was the real thing. I, mean, um, I suppose was, the Man United the Man United wouldn't have had lots of glazer out effects, would they? Yeah. That would have been quite a good effect to put in earlier in the season. If there was something riding on that Cavani goal. Do you think they would have spent a bit more time on VAR? And the fact that they thought we can't. This is a great goal. We don't want to rule it out. And he probably hasn't touched it. And it probably isn't a goal, but it doesn't matter, does it? It's not going to affect anything in the league I table. Mean, I mean, VAR is so. I mean, that's the problem, isn't it? Of all the problems with VAR, it's so random mm. that there are just continual wrong decisions. You know, the Werner penalty, yeah. the, the first half, which is much, it's more of a penalty than the than the second one, yeah. isn't it? And and then the Cavani offside, which is so offside, and it's it is really easy to watch that ball because all you need to do, either they get Snicko in, yeah. you know, if Mariah Erasmus had been on VAR, yeah. just rock and roll it there two or three but times. You look at it, and it, it doesn't, doesn't look, it doesn't look like um, no. Fernandez has touched it. No, so and then I think you know, Ruben Diaz handball, you know, it's a blatant handball that was just no, nah, forget that one. Yeah. So I also like to, and I think I brought this up before, um, discuss the Paul Doyle law, which I have tried to get you on board with. Oh, yeah. You're not interested. Ali McCoist isn't interested. The idea being, right, and this 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 is relevant for the Chelsea penalty, for the one that wasn't given and the one that was, mm-hmm. is that if you commit a foul in a in the box but it doesn't deny a clear goal scoring opportunity, it should just be a free kick from wherever that is. People love free, free kicks. Free kick inside. in the box. Yeah. Like they used to give for obstruction exactly. when, when obstruction was a thing. Because that Fafana foul on Which you only there. get those now, of course, for back passes, of course. don't you? That's the only reason you ever get a, a free kick inside the and box. And they're good fun. There are too many penalties. Ten men on the line. It's mm. always a joy. And someone trying to yeah. ping it in the top corner. 100%. And, that, you know, that. I don't know if Fafana, he just touches Werner, but I think that a penalty is too big a punishment. Yeah. I that. mean that game as well. The Perez miss at the end. Oh. I mean that's that's. The, I mean I don't want to put any pressure on Ozzy Perez, but that's the Champions League, mate. <laughs> I don't want to make you feel bad. Who would you but, put more money on, Perez? You know, if you said right, it's there are going to be two moments which decide the Champions League, and one is Ayose Perez ball on the floor rolling towards him at a nice pace, and one is Allison lumbering up for a corner. Yeah, and what's more likely to go in? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, that is a anyway, good point. It was thoroughly enjoyable. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from Talksport. We're dipping into the My Sporting Life archive once again. As we said, you can uh, listen back to these long-form interviews with uh, the legends of sport um, on the TalkSport app, and they're all fascinating chats. Uh, Eric Bristow is the subject, the late great darts legend uh, today, and Danny Kelly rejoins us. Hi, Dan. Oh, great, thank you. How's everyone there? All good? Yeah, well, not bad. I've just been telling uh, Max and uh, Jamie, our producer today, that I've talked to uh, I talked to Eric about this back in the day. Um, I live round the corner from Eric, and we're going to play a clip in a minute that backs Mm -hmm. this up. But he had a little gang of herberts that he used to sit around on his wall, and we used to be terrorised going down. Used to go and play football, even going to school. You go down uh, Eric's road, and you're not not giving too much away. This is off the Albion Road in Stoke Newington. That's right. This is exactly Uh, yeah. I've researched. I've researched you very deeply, Paul. (laughs) Been scarred Um, for life. And I told Eric, and he laughed. I said, "You used (laughs) to frighten the life out of us." He said, "Oh yeah, I know." And he just he loved it. It was cool. I can only imagine him in like a big darts shirt and little shorts. No, no, he was he was quite. They were all of them. They're scary bunch well listen the, the, the fun of this was that I, you know I, I watched darts like everyone else but I didn't know much about Eric Bristow did the research and stuff it turned out he was a fantastic talker this is another one a bit like Jimmy White 
the other day when we talked about it, where you could just play out the, the, the it's almost impossible to pull out the clips. You could just play the whole thing. It's all one highlight after another. And well, I suppose we, we should start, Paul, um, with it, ta- him talking about being in the gang that terrorised uh, the teenage <laughs> Hawksby. <laughs> Them days, even with a gang, he wasn't, you know what I mean? There was loads of gangs around where we was, you know what I mean? So uh, my gang was, like every other gang, they steal cars, they break people's houses. It was like it, it wasn't anything wrong, you know what I mean? It was like, that's the sort of thing you've done, you know what I mean? Well, but, every, uh, but hang on, hang on, let, let's be frank. What if someone broke into your house now and nicked your car? What would you it. think about it? Oh, yeah, that's it. I understand, yeah. But, I mean, we wasn't bad burglars. We didn't rip, rip the place up. It's, some of these bad burglars, they just rip the place up and everything. We, we left everything nice, you know what I mean? <laughs> There's a bit in the book. I mean, you're very proud of that fact, Eric, um, that you, you weren't one of these people who would uh, destroy people's houses and all the rest of it. There's a story in the book that one of your co-criminals stopped one day and, and cooked himself English yeah, breakfast in someone's it. house. He's going through the house and whatever, and then you smell cooking, you know, and you think, what the hell's going on? He's going to the kitchen, he's, he's doing eggs and bacon and whatever. He had no fear. Yeah, it could have been the worse. Good, the good burglars. Yeah, he's, he yeah. was, oh, he was yeah. at home with the good burglars. He, um, and yeah, there was a gang, there was a couple of little eight and nine year olds in there, and they were as bad as the big kids as well. Honestly, they like, it was like the, it was, uh, it was like Fagan. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, they, but, they, they, they didn't want the full English breakfast. They went for the chicken dippers, I didn't think they? They probably did. Yeah, the fish fingers. Uh, yeah, but he, it was a, a very entertaining uh, chat. This, and um, I mean, yeah. obviously the darts chat, and he's and the and kind of his his rise through that. I think there is a. I think there was a plaque outside the Red Lion pub in Stone Union where he used to go and practice still, Danny, I think. Yeah, I mean, he, 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 I got a great sense. So you'd have enjoyed it, Paul, and, you, and probably you'll get a chance to listen back to it now on the app. But uh, there's a great sense of place in that first third of the show when we talked about him growing up and even in the early parts of his of his darts career because yes you're right um stoke newington uh, the north the north london scene and gradually uh, you know uh, sort of moving out from north london to include all of the, of the capital city before he then takes on the rest of the country he he spoke you know he, spe- he speaks very very descriptively um, of working class life there's no other word for it he 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 spoke about the way working class people were back in the day Paul, you and I, I think, in, you know, from the, we're both from that part of the, of the world, um, we would recognise a lot of the uh, the things he was talking about, including the pub circuit and, and and playing, often playing against six or seven people a night and taking their money off them. He, he made his life up in the Potteries, of course, when he moved out of London. Mm. And uh, that's where, of course, he encountered Phil the Power. Well, yeah, and this, this, was, a, this was something I was really interested in talking to him about because um, he... Uh, can genuinely claim to have been Phil the Power Taylor's mentor. I don't suppose he, he, he knew that Phil would go on to dominate the sport and indeed reduce Eric's chances of ever being world champion again, but he really was very, very involved with Taylor right at the start of Phil's career. I wanted to get him out in the big wide world in the tournaments, so I took him to the Canadian Open, he lost first round. I took him to the North American Open in Vegas, he lost first round. And he sat there in tears, I can't do this anymore, I'm wasting my time. Am I right in thinking that you lent him a significant amount of money to try I and didn't get him lend, up and running? I didn't lend him money, I just paid for everything. So okay, sorry. Same, same thing, you know what I mean? So, but it, yeah. was, it was just like, it wasn't I didn't do it, I didn't want a percentage of him, of him or I didn't want, it was just... I li- bet you wish I had a percentage of him now. No, no, that's, that's, that's money don't mean nothing to me, so there's no problem with that. So, I mean, I uh, just wanted, wanted to make him, him, him world champion, it was just like a little thing for me. And what I, what I enjoyed, it was like John Lowe and a few others... As, as the first couple of years went by and he wasn't doing very well, John Lowe and a few others said to me, um, what are you sponsoring him for? He's useless. He'll never win anything. I said, well, we'll see what he wins in another two or three years. I mean, then he started winning. He won a Canadian Open 
he was getting match fit, what I called. He could play a, a long day tournament then. You know, he'd play one game at 10 o'clock in the morning, one, one in the afternoon, two o'clock, afternoon, three o'clock. He could do it all day. So I, I, my little dream was to train him up, get him up, get him into the World Championship and sit down there and watch him beat somebody in the World Final and just go to everybody. Well, I told you I was right. Interesting. And um, Phil's done something similar subsequently. Danny, we're certainly, yes. we're, we're, we've got to go to oh. Steve Clark very shortly. We're not going to get a chance to play that third clip. but No, no not, not to worry. I, I just wondered, Paul, if you recognised your own accent there before you had the elocution. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, 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 that's a great voice. That much deeper voice. It's brilliant, isn't it? I can hear him <laughs> shouting at me across the road and me it's, trying uh, to sprint I, home crying. Losing no your lunch false, money again. <laughs> no false modesty. It's a fantastic listen if you get a chance. Yeah, brilliant. And we'll catch up with you next week, Cheers, Danny. Danny. Thanks very much. Of course you will. Cheers, man. Bye. The My Sporting Life archive, as we said, is available on the app, and uh, I'm sure the Eric Bristow one will be a fascinating uh, listen. Uh, yeah, the, the bit we didn't get round to was uh, Bobby George in the 1980 World Championship final, and there's lots of great stories on there. I'm sure I'm going to go and check that out. Yeah. Now, That's hard. You've got to remember that he transcended, you know, not just darts but yeah. sport. You know, it was just huge. I mean, you know, that sort of Gods of Snooker documentary. Yeah. It's a similar thing, isn't it? I it think is. younger listeners would think, you know, yeah, darts players are quite famous, but these guys were superstars. Yeah. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. Oh. They're funny things, press conferences, aren't they? And I know they have to happen, and sometimes something interesting happens. I mean, you just Think about, you know, the questions that get asked mm. and then what's he meant to say? Are you happy with the balance of the squad? What's he going to say? No, not really. <laughs> We've only got left backs. Yeah. Is it hard to call players who didn't make the squad? No, it was great. I really reveled in it. Yeah. I reveled in ringing up people saying, you're one chance of getting to a major tournament and I've blown it for you. Uh, does it mean more because it's a major tournament? No, not really. I prefer friendlies and the <laughs> Nations League. Are you excited? No, not really. Right. I'm not. I fancy the summer off. I'm a bit gutted. Fair, we qualified. He doesn't look massively excited. No, he doesn't. I think, in, I think inside he is. Will the players excited. who've got European finals turn up later? No, they're gonna. I'm not allowing them to play in the Europa League and the Champions League final. I mean, you know, I know something's got to happen. Maybe I don't you know. I just turn into press officer, Mister Sarcastic. I turn into Andy Jacobs there for so a minute. Every time don't Steve like... leans into the mic to answer the question, you go, "No, no, no, no. We just, <laughs> we, they're not going to play. We won't let them join us." I mean, it's not easy to think of a question that isn't obvious. But yeah. you know, what are you, what are you meant to do? I mean, I don't know. We're all dance the dance, don't we? Yeah. But there we go. There's my view of it all. As in, what's he going to say? He can't say anything. It is a bit like post-match, isn't it? Happy with that performance? You've lost 3-0? No, not really. Yeah. Yeah, I'm delighted. Anyway, I've fin- finished now, I remember Paul. going to some press conferences, and in the end, I mean, but the, the, the Terry Venables ones were always a joy when he was at Tottenham because he would walk into the room and all the press... These are long before the days everybody had PA systems, everybody sat down and, you know, it was all an, an AV extravaganza with lots of spots. He'd just wander into the Spurs lounge and be handed a half a lager. It's like saying reminder. <laughs> Terry would get handed a half a lager and he'd wander into this this kind of... A sort of pack of journalists all standing there with their little tape recorders and then they wouldn't even ask a question he'd just start speaking you wouldn't have because he'd just give you what he thought of the game and then the, the questions would flow from that but often there wasn't a question to kick it off oh, he'd, just, much he'd have a little sip of his half a lager and, and then hold cool and lots of managers were like that they, I used, was to, in- they used to be a lot of fun those ones when you used to have this great scrum of journalists Right in the, you know, not sticking the tape recorder on the table, uh, or that, you know, just basically right up into their faces, really close to them. Kenny Dalgleish was always a joy. He was really funny, <laughs> very sarcastic uh, to some of the journalists who asked him daft questions. I'll bring those back. Yeah. I remember, yes, I remember Jerry France has been quite funny when Spurs were doing quite well. Very rare occasion. I think they'd beaten Man United 4 1 or something. Mm. Even Chris Armstrong had scored that two. One. Do you remember that a, one? Yeah, it was a New and, Year's And the Christmas question was, you know, how did you feel when Man United went one up? And he went, great. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Cheers, mate. In the pouring rain, I seem I to didn't, remember. And because we took that, I was going to really spend a long time asking you the Daily Star fact of the day. Okay, well, look. Do you want to do know? it anyway? Do it how anyway. many how many Earths do you reckon you could fit inside the sun? How many Earths could you fit inside the sun? Yeah. Uh, Twenty. No, higher. Uh, Sixty. <laughs> if you keep going up at this rate, we're going to be here for a long time. I'll do one more. Is it lower? It's higher. It's higher. Okay, well, two hundred. One point three million. You get three, you really have, you're, million. You're clueless when it comes to the size of the sun, of the aren't sun. you, Paul? I mean, it's clearly not giving up enough heat at the moment. <laughs> you could probably fit two Earths in there at the moment. Uh, the big breaking news for me, I couldn't believe, seeing pictures of Michelle Dockery uh, yeah. as Lady Mary, right. is that they're making Downton Abbey 2. They're making another Downton Abbey oh, film. Oh, I, I mean, I missed the first one. I presume yeah. it's impossible to keep up. Well, it's Downton Abbey 2, Electric Boogaloo, apparently it's called. <laughs> I reckon it's great. So okay. I, I can't wait well, to see it. I'm really it, looking forward that to it. That was the big shock news. Uh, also, we saw Marcus Rashford in double denim today. Yes. Uh, he's uh, uh, for the good people at Levi's. Can you get away with that? You, you could get I away occasionally with do it here, but you can only see me from, you know, when, I, when if we get a clip gets tweeted out. Maybe that press conference rant might, you'll only see half of me. Yeah. I must admit now, thinking about it, criticising a Chris, uh, press conference for being blindingly obvious and then... And, giving you information that the sun is big. Yeah. <laughs> it's perhaps slight my, hypocrisy actually, there. Actually, my, my guesses were rubbish, though. They were uh, they terrible. Were really quite really terrible. Really no idea. To, to be honest, I wasn't that interested or invested in it. <laughs> okay, well, you so, could have just said, I don't want... If you'd said, I, I'm I, not interested, I, yeah, no, I wouldn't have carried on. I could have said, I don't want to answer that question. Anyway, we'll okay. move on. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. <laughs> Hawksby and Max Rushton here on TalkSport. We'll chat with Tim Vickery over in Rio a little bit later on. Take any questions you have on players you've been uh, linked with from South America. As always, TalkSport.com. Text 1889. Tweet the TSH&J. Now, uh, Pat Nevin, former uh, Chelsea, Everton and uh, Scotland winger, has uh, his autobiography out. It's called The Accidental Footballer. And uh, he joins us now. Pat, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me on. Great oh, pleasure. Great to have you. Yeah. It's an interesting title. Uh, and I suppose at the kind of at the core of it is that you were a man that absolutely loved football um, and playing football, but not necessarily uh, the the accepted lifestyle of the footballer. Uh, absolutely the case. And uh, that continues to be the, the case just now. <laughs> I kind of love the game and love playing it. Um, obviously, I love watching it as well now. Um, and if I could play just now, I still would play just now. <laughs> I do kick a ball now and again. But all the other side of it, I wasn't really interested in. I had my own interest in my, my own part of my life that I wanted to live. And I didn't want to fit into what was the, the norm. Um, not because I thought I was any better or any worse. I was just, I had different interests. Um, and being an outsider within it, in the end, became a really interesting thing to do. Because I see it with eyes of, like, us. You know what I mean? You're like, mm. Not like a footballer. I see it. And things that they think are normal, I thought were normal, I thought were really, really weird. And uh, I'd, so I'd been meaning to write this for years and years and years. I just kind of put it off for quite a long time. And then I started writing that a while, a while back. And as soon as I started tapping away at the typewriter, it just flowed out because I'd never bothered to look back, you know. And then finally, after all these years, I looked back and I thought, actually, that's quite interesting. And that's actually quite funny as well. <laughs> so it was great fun doing it. Did you, I mean, did you find dressing rooms difficult because you were slightly different or because, you know, you read Chekhov and, and things like that yeah. or, and you had huge love for music, which we'll get into. Did you, did you find it difficult or were you generally just accepted but seen as different? Um, probably accepted as and seen as different. Um, 
yeah, you get wound up. Look, if you go into any place, be it a workplace, be it a dressing room, dressing rooms are particularly hard and you're different. Like, you'll get some stick. You'll get wound up. They'll test you. The problem is when you try to be like the rest and you try to fit in, that's almost a weakness I always felt. Mm. So if you just keep on being yourself, after a while they respect you for it. So in general terms, it was, okay, I'll admit, the Chelsea players called me weirdo. That was my nickname. <laughs> but, you know, I think it was said with some affection, some most of the time. Um, but it's it's like dressing rooms aren't always easy places. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. But you need to stand your corner. And the other side of it was, I come from the East End of Glasgow. You know, and you, you've, you've got a tough upbringing there and you, you kind of learn a lot of things. So I wasn't going to be cowed by it at all. If it was harder for others. I remember there's a few people in the book that, and one of them in particular was Graham Lasso, had it a wee bit tougher. But, you know, I kind of slightly took Graham under my wing and made sure that he understood it's all right to be a wee bit different. Um, maybe I'd done too good a job there. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, nothing had really changed for Graham, as you say, really. A few years on after you, the situation was much the same. The dressing room yeah. environment hadn't changed. So I just wonder, uh, were there other players at that time that you saw as kindred spirits when you were playing and thought, you know, I'm not, no, it's not bravery as such, but it's saying mm-hmm. they're, they're more willing to conform. But I think, you know, on a, on a quiet day, they, they could be just like me. They could have the same interests as me, but they, they won't change. See, I found them all really interesting in the, as a kind of voyeuristic study of them, but not in a kind of dull way. I mean, I just liked looking at them as unusual personalities because they had such a different background to me. So I'd come from education and a different family background, and I hadn't been desperate to be a professional footballer, although I love playing, as you mentioned before. But, you know, maybe the, they would, some of them would try and see interest in my, my music. And I used to do this thing where I'd, this was the early days of videotapes, so I'd kind of clip them together and make these kind of mixed videotapes for the coach journeys. Mm-hmm. And I put four or five on in a row, and the lads were like, oh, that's not bad, Pat. And then I'd ruin it by putting one by the fall on, and they'd all start throwing things at me. So I, I kind of wound it up as well and wound myself up. Um, but generally, I kind of found it quite a nice place. But I ask you and anybody listening, do you really hang about with all your mates at work? Is that what you do with all your life? And and I, try and, I, try and, I try and follow Paul home, but he, <laughs> he, 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 he honestly walks very quickly. Well, the so the restraining big, orders yeah. certainly help. There's something yeah, interesting, yeah, yeah. Pat, isn't there? That um, I think there's a, such a big difference between education and intelligence, and there is such a cliche exactly. that, you know, all footballers are thick, and, and in my experience, it's not true. Like, it, you mm. know, some are and some aren't, like every other part of life. And I, and, I, and I think that's an interesting, you know, you must have seen that, mm. that footballers that perhaps didn't have the same education that you had, but still, that didn't mean that they weren't bright. I've, I've met many people who've got PhDs and everything, and they're thick as mints. They're <laughs> hell of a good at that. But And then if you walk into a dressing room, the street smarts mm-hmm. in every dressing room are right up there. And you know that. You've talked to players. You, you've mixed with them. And it's, I remember journalists back in those days, they used to sort of say at football, they're all thickos. And okay, they don't have tertiary education, but they're not thick. And I used to say, you try surviving in that dressing room with the abuse, as in winding up abuse, and also the, the fun uh, and the barbs. You, you need to be quick. And you need to be good. You need to be strong-willed. Um, and yeah, there are lot, lots and lots of sharp players out there. And that, if I would say, if anything, they're above average, you know, of intelligence and pure intelligence. Because you need sort of intelligence to be able to play football. Because you have to work a lot of things out really quickly when you're on the pitch. I mean, it's not all of them, but that's the case with some of them. So I was maybe unlike them. I didn't look down on them. 
I mean, absolutely not. But you're allowed to be different. Um, and I kind of, that, that was kind of the start of it. But did I have friends that were footballers? Yeah, some great ones. We got called Colin Pates and John Bumpson were brilliant mates at Chelsea. Mm. I mean, they were just basically like Monty Python every day. <laughs> and you walk in and just laugh all day. I mean, this morning, I've got a really sore arm because I was standing next to Jason Cundy last night. Oh, yeah. And I've got a great arm because he gets a bit excited. He does. At those Chelsea games. <laughs> <laughs> so you get you getting punched. Pat, pat. He was giving oh, you that, was oh, he, all the time? I, yeah. But, I mean, because there's people like Jason. Jason's, well, you all know Jason really well, but mm. he's, he's a smart, intelligent guy. Yeah. And he's a passionate guy. And, he's, and he loves the football. And I've never felt negative. And that's the un- misunderstanding that people used to make. Oh, you're a bit different. You can't like them. Yeah, I like them perfectly well. Mm. Yeah, but don't spend my whole life with them. Part of it was a fear of I didn't want to get drawn into it all and it be everything about my life because I wanted to have another part of life as well. Yeah. Um, but they did find it a bit weird, I'll be honest with you. And, <laughs> you know, if, if, if they, when I did hide things for a while and then I thought, I'm going to stop hiding it, it's too much fun. So I'd come in the morning and they'd say, what were you doing last night? And they'd say, I'm down a pub. What did you do, Pat? Uh, well, I was standing in the wings at the Royal Ballet watching my friend Fiona as the principal in Swan Lake <laughs> at Covent Garden. And they look at me going, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and it was fun to be able to kind of have a different life. But, you know, I, I generally, the vast majority were good. Mm. You know, really good fun. And that's the nice thing. Be able to tell stories about a lot of the people in the book. Um, a lot of people that I went through, the vast majority of them are people I liked and really enjoyed the company yeah. of. Um, so that's why I was enjoy writing about them. Do you think it's changed now? I mean, you're still around clubs as a pundit. You're still going to games all the time and you speak to managers and players. I mean, do you think it's much easier to be a, an individual now in a dressing room? I think it probably is a bit easier. I think there was a big change when uh, a lot more foreign players come in and they had different cultural things. So you just have one monoculture within football. And, you know, that was the expected way. And it wasn't just the players. You know, the, you know, everybody else expected them to behave that way and they kind of, uh, they played up to it sometimes. But when other people come from other countries, you know, you couldn't really imagine Ruth Hulick going in with a, getting a play ratted every Saturday <laughs> night. <with him. laughs> it's kind of not going to work. He's far too cool for that, you know. I mean, and a lot of players were like that. They came in and, you know, the game advanced in that level. Uh, but, you know, I, it, it didn't make it worse. There's some things about the game today that I think are much, much better. Probably most things. But there's some things that I don't really kind of see as good. As, and I, I do think it was much easier to have a little bit of fun within it. I spent my whole career, about 850 games, mostly laughing. And mostly laughing at myself, to be <laughs> fair. Yeah. Um, but... In, in the end, I, I don't see quite as much laughter. And do you know, there's another thing. I was covering the game the other night. It was the, the Chelsea women's. I watched their training session the night before. They just laughed their heads off the whole way through it. Mm. And maybe you're right. Maybe there's something that they all take it much more seriously. And I wonder, you know, like people say, oh, there's so much money in it. It must be much more stressful. No chance. It's exactly the opposite. <laughs> if you're on 180 quid a week and you're worried about losing your job, that's more stressful than having earned three, four, five million in the last two years. Yeah. You know, the stress comes from that end of it. So I'm not having that. <laughs> um, There's more stress than that. Um, a lot of the book is about your love of music. And I, and I knew that you loved music and had a massive passion for it. I didn't know that you ended up doing John Peel's admin at Radio One. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, there are kind of a lot of weird stories you would, you would look at it because I didn't tell anybody. I just went along 
living this kind of weird kind of life um, that wouldn't mix. If I went in and told the lads at training, oh, about, I was in with Peely last night doing the show, they'd go, John who? You know, because it wouldn't make any, it would have no effect on them. So, you know, Peely became a friend. Um, I'd, I'd been such a great admirer of his and what he did over the years. Um, but yeah, I'd, and he'd sometimes go on the show at night and say, yeah, I've got the famous footballer in tonight. And, uh, and then move on. Nobody knew who it was. <laughs> so it was, I loved that because I wasn't searching for fame. Mm-hmm. And Pooley and I had a lot in common because he was in, in an industry where lots of famous people and a lot of people, you know, there is a lot of people in those industries scrabbling for fame, isn't aren't there? And it's a, we can hide it as much as we like and say showbiz world is we're all living in this one big happy house. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of people fighting to get to the top, isn't there? And there's a lot of scratching on the way. And the people of John and I, we were, we didn't want that. We just wanted to do the love side of it. I loved the football, playing it. He loved the music. So all the other stuff we couldn't care less about. Um, so he was an interesting, really interesting and great guy to get to know. Maybe something else that set you apart is that you'd often go and see other teams play, which maybe other footballers didn't do at the time. And, <laughs> and, uh, and a mutual pal of ours, Adrian Thrills, where you're old flatmates, the enemy journalist, yeah. told me years ago of a story of you two guys. I think you went and watched Spurs play. Um, and a, a Tottenham fan spotted you on the train, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's wild stuff. Like, I, I was Chelsea Player of the Year, and I was standing on the shelf. I mean, really? <laughs> <laughs> How does that work? But it's not, I wasn't supporting Spurs. I was going to see players of Mickey Hazard. Mm. I was going to see Glenn. I was going to see, I was going to learn. There's nothing wrong with that. That's absolutely fine. Um, and they were a very good, they were a brilliant team to watch at the time. Um, so I was learning a lot at the time. I was only 18, 19. Nobody had quite told me that Spurs and Chelsea kind of didn't mix. Uh, <laughs> and on the way back, so the next year, I, I thought, you know, I'll, I'll just go to the game. And this time I played against Spurs. And then instead of going back to the team bus, I thought, oh, I'll just, I'll, I'll just get the trip. Because I always get the trip home from White Hartley. Wrong idea. <laughs> I'd move. And one fan, yeah, I did pull an knife on me. But, you know, I, I got away with it. Um, and had a pretty sore knuckle afterwards, but it was one of those ones where I thought maybe this kind of utter normality life that I want to live, maybe I have to kind of uh, be sensible about it now and again. But I just, and London's such a great place though, and it's such a big place. You can be anonymous, and it's why one of the many reasons I absolutely fell in love with London. I love London. I'm talking to you now from, from the bridge, and I love being here. I live in Scotland, but I work here and I love this place. Um- we're told a lot, you know, sport and politics shouldn't necessarily mix. And uh, in the book, you talk about how you you stood up like post match. Uh, Paul Cannaville had your teammate had been racially abused, and you spoke mm-hmm. up about it, and not just by opposition fans, by home fans as well. Mm-hmm. And you spoke out about that. And I wondered at that time if you felt kind of alone doing that. I did. That's a good question. I did feel quite alone doing it, and but I felt confused because I mean, this is nineteen eighty four. And I, I'd been involved in anti-apartheid stuff, and anti-racism stuff. I was a student, remember, in Glasgow. So I come down and you'd hear thousands of people having these like a racist chants. And I'm going, why is nobody speaking out about this? I couldn't get my head around it. And nobody was because it was normality then, wasn't it? I, I don't know if you remember, but mm. it was just people shrugged their shoulders. And, you know, that's the way life is. And I'm thinking, no, it's not. I'm not having that. And so I couldn't shop about it. And I was seen as a bit of a big mouth um, by some people for sort of bringing it up. And I think a lot of sports journals at the time just thought, what's that got to do with us? And I used, and I used to say, well, everything. 
<laughs> you know, we've got to do something about this. But, you know, we have to remember. And the great thing about this whole book is I didn't write it with uh, with uh, what a lot of people do now, is look at old times and then judge them by today's standards. I tell you what it felt like at the time. And I actually felt the way I would feel today. And I suspect you and all of our listeners feel today, mm. the vast majority of listeners feel today. But it just wasn't the way in the culture at the time, and it needed to be changed. And, you know, we've worked hard over the years at changing it, um, and I've never stopped. And happily, mine's is not a lone voice anymore. Mm. <laughs> On the nice positive side, which is not mentioned in the book, um, I've been given two doctorates for the work that I've done in the early days of that. Um, so it's, it's kind of proud that I was remembered for that because I had to give up my degree early. I had to give up a year early to go and play football. Um, so I got the they got the, the, the letters after my name. I never used that doctorate except for one situation. Anytime I talk to my daughter, who's actually <laughs> a real doctor, so I wind her. <laughs> she said, "Dad, no, 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 it's doctor." So she gets furious. Medals on there's basically medals on the table, Pat. You are an old school yeah. footballer after all. I have doctorates on the table. Exactly. The, um, I'm a double doctor. I've got oh. two. <laughs> the um, yeah, I mean, just going back to finally on this, the, the, the club's attitudes have changed. And at the time, Chelsea yeah. said, look, we don't disagree with the sentiment, but don't have a pop at your own fans. Don't turn on your own fans, because that was that was their concern. Because you said it was a lot of Chelsea fans who were turning on Paul Canterville, wasn't it? Yeah, and it happens to be Chelsea, just now that I'm talking about. I suspect most other clubs would have been exactly the same. Yeah. They would have said to their player, look, shut up. It's kind of dangerous Particularly as me, I'm hanging about in tubes and getting knives pulled on me and stuff. Mm. You know, and I'm a very unusual character who goes to different places. They would have been worried about my safety, you know, as, as a kindness. And also, I was an asset as well to them. Yeah. And so I understood why they did it, but they, that wasn't happening. I wasn't accepting it. And, you know, if they said, well, they, they couldn't find me for it. And they, they certainly wouldn't sack me because I was player of the year. So I doubt that was going to happen. Um, but in reality, they, they did get me in and they said, look, we think you should stop doing that. And I said, good, that's interesting. I'm not going to like, <laughs> but it's interesting to know you think that. Um, but I think it was mostly due to caring consideration they thought I'd get in. Because there were some dangerous people out there, weren't there? And they thought I would be attacked with those people. And uh, so far, touch wood, not yet. Yeah, uh, not, many, not many teams anyway. <laughs> we'll chat more in a moment. Uh, Pat Nevin chatting to us about his uh, autobiography, The Accidental Footballer. We'll get his thoughts on uh, Steve Clark's Scotland squad that was announced earlier on very shortly. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. We're chatting to Pat Neving about his uh, autobiography, The Accidental footballer. Yeah, getting lots of nice comments. And no nasty ones, very rare yeah. uh, for anyone. Dave says, I had so much pleasure watching Pat play, even more listening to him, one of football's nice guys. Dan says, I'm a Fulham fan, therefore I wouldn't even eat a Chelsea bun, but Pat at Chelsea was a joy to watch. And he liked the Cocteau twins, which are before yeah. my time, I would say. And Papaphone says, Pat, let me come on the coach with uh, Howard Kendall. They were watching Harry Enfield, waiting for crowds to disperse, waiting for to wave to Lineker and Gazza at the last home game for Spurs. Thank you for that. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Dim distant that. memories. Yeah. Um, all the chapters, Pat, are named after songs. Quite an eclectic lineup from Abba, the Jesus and Mary. <laughs> you've actually got a, you've got a playlist at the back if people want to go and find the tracks, haven't you? Well, oddly enough, I mean, each one of the tracks kind of um, tells a story or, or a line into what that chapter is about. Mm. Um, but I just I just thought it was a good idea to put those tunes in because I like them all. Um, but uh, and the idea is you've got a little ear sort of bug in your hair, head when you're uh, listening to it. Um, but also I couldn't think of any better chapter names. So I just <laughs> used songs. <laughs> and uh, it kind of works. I kind of like the idea of it. And you can either say you like them or you don't like them. It, it doesn't matter. Mm. But most of them are kind of good and danceable. Somebody told me once that there was a kind of Scotland reception. It might have been before you went off to the Euros in 92. I don't know. We'll come on to that in a minute. And every all the Scotland boys in the squad had to choose a song they would like played. And you chose a Sugar Cube song in Icelandic. <laughs> Is that true? It's nearly true. I'll tell you the whole story very, very quickly. Mm. So they asked me to come up. It was after my time in the Scotland squad. And they asked me to come up to entertain the kids. So I brought some songs up to listen. And I said, it's a quiz I'm doing, right? And then I put four songs on that you have to choose which one of these is my favourite. And there was, you know, three quite well-known songs. And a B-side of a Sugar Cube song in Icelandic. <laughs> and they, none of them went for that. 
and indeed that was my favorite one <laughs> birthday by the sugar cubes uh, but i just wanted to do it for a bit of fun and they all had a, a laugh with it um but in actual fact the, a lot of the players were quite interested i remember alec mcleese saying to me once god that's rubbish you listen to who are you listening to now and i said uh, <laughs> At the justified ancients of Mumu. And he started laughing. <laughs> and he what? said, You're winding me up. Yeah, exactly. He said, You're winding me up. It's an absolute joke, Nevin. Honestly. So I never thought another thing about it. And then a year later, he came back and he said, I found this new band back called KLF. And I went, Yes, that's the justified ancients of Mumu. It's the would same you, band, mate. Would you, would you have given up? You know, if, you, if, if, if somebody said, Look, you, you didn't have a football career, you weren't a beautiful wispy winger but you were you know the bassist in a in an eclectic um avant-garde 80s (laughs) electro music act would you what would you swap that um i have to say that's not even difficult i love the football playing too much i Mm. for football i was a player and music i was an absolute consumer and there's no problem with that i didn't actually want because a lot of people if you want to be a man maybe you still want to be famous i would i'd still have my back to that to the audience, <laughs> to the Jesus and Mary team, back to the audience. Um, but no, I was a, an absolute consumer. I never had any kind of want to do that. I've sang front man for a band once in my life. I sang for the Bluebells once in Glasgow. Wow. Uh, and uh, I sang a song called uh, Letter from America. You, you might remember it by mm, the Proclaimers. Yeah. Except, except I changed the words to um, When You Go, Will You Send Back Soonest to Sampdoria. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because I was a Celtic fan, I was having a dig at Rangers. Uh, but no, I just, I just loved. I was absolutely, and still am. I'm still, you can still find me, you know, in Dalston and East London DJing every now and again. Not over the last year and a bit, obviously, mm. but um, it's just something you love because you meet nice people and good people, and there's no such thing as good or bad music. It's just what you like. And uh, I kind of sp- spent so much of my life doing that and trying to enjoy these things and find these bands that um, I thought it would get it would get dulled one day, but it hasn't. So I'm looking forward to going to see gigs again, just as much as football fans are wanting to get back into those stadiums. Because uh, it's not the same without the fans there. It just isn't. Absolutely. Uh, finally, Pat, let's just get your thoughts on on the Scotland squad. A couple of notable absentees. I mean, what do you make of the balance of the squad generally? No, I, I, I like it because, look, the big names that we need are there. Uh, notice the we in that, yeah. <laughs> in that sentence. Uh, McGinn, you know, Armstrong, McTominay, Che Adams, by the way, he's a bit of a game changer for us. We needed a striker. And Che's made us better. Um, Robertson and Tierney, beginning to get the best out of both of them together. I mean, that's typical Scotland. Get two world-class <laughs> players and both of them playing the same <laughs> position. But Clarkie's now, and Clarkie's a mate. I phoned Clarkie yesterday morning. Um, and talked to him, and I was I was bending his ear and saying, "You got you, you got to put Billy in. You got to put Billy Gilmore in because he's, he's he's going to be a big part of our future." And you might as well have him there now and learn. Now I'm not saying he listened to me. However, <laughs> Billy is in there along with Nathan Patterson and uh, David Turnbull, the Celtic, and both Nathan of Rangers, David Turnbull of Celtic, and both of them are youngsters. All three of them are the future, and we need them in as quick as possible. So. I'm really, really happy with that squad. Um, and it's it's going to be as good as we can possibly get it. And even though this might shock a lot of people, I haven't an anti-English sentiment in my body and never have had. I really hope we stuff you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you had a tough group in 92, Germany and Holland. Uh, I mean, in this case, you know, Croatia are a good side and, you know, England yeah. are a decent side. But you think getting England 
is good because England, Scotland always yeah. generally oh, do match terrifying. up well. You yeah, know, Scotland get under England's skin. So it, it, in some ways, it's better that than maybe getting the, the Germans or the Dutch, isn't it? Maybe partially because, you know, you, there's a bit of it. We know them, you know, certainly if you're Robertson, if you're Tierney, if you're McTominay, you know all the players you're playing against. Mm. So you're not going to be spooked by them. So that's a kind of good thing, maybe more for Scotland than it is for England, I would suggest. I mean, we're big underdogs when we're playing against England. I mean, England are a fabulous team with unbelievable players. Now, I'm utterly jealous of the quality I've got. But I felt that way a few years back up at Hamden Park when we were seconds away from winning, you know, two great goals um, from Griffiths. So, you know, it's not beyond the bounds of possibility. But um, I mean, I played at Wembley once for Scotland against England. And again, it's in the book, the stories about that. The stupid thing, very typical of me. First time I'd ever been a Scotland-England game, I played. <laughs> and I got the tube home. There's <laughs> oh, that's a recurring pattern there, there really. Yeah. So, it is, it is. Uh, terrific, Pat. Lovely to talk to you. We wish you well with the book. Thanks for joining us. Cheers, Pat. And thanks for having me on. The, the Accidental Footballer by Pat Nevin is uh, officially out tomorrow. It's a cracking read. There's some great stories in yeah. there. So we've had a good man. Scratch the surface. Yeah, indeed. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. There we are. That was this afternoon's show. We'll do it all again tomorrow and we'll have the birthday oh, spread. Of course, of course we will. Yeah, Start looking get, forward to it. Getting ready the for The comeback that. is on. Indeed. <laughs> so is it 17 17 2. 17 2. Comeback yeah. is on. Uh, lost some minor blip last week but he'll be back tomorrow so yes we'll see you then if you can listen great if not the podcast will be available around five thanks for listening you've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4pm on TalkSport Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.